0: well good morning my name is Karen I'm one of the pastors on staff here and I'm excited to be here with you this morning and I never tire from watching Brian humiliate himself it I am so excited of another summer of watching that um, I did talk to Brian uh, right before nine o'clock he sent me a picture of crosswinds literally descending upon the Pennsylvania welcome station so if they stop at that rate, they should get to South Carolina about Tuesday. Um, so hopefully they, they pick up the speed and, and, and don't stop quite as often as they had started out. But definitely want to be praying for them this week. So this morning we're going to continue on with our Ask, Asking for a Friend series. We're going to look at the biblical principles and Christian practices of reconciliation And we're going to look at Scripture as we consider how we are to be reconciled with God and how we're to be reconciled with others. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to start in Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person— We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So the Greek word for reconciliation here is katalage. We're going to go with that because it's Greek. So go with it with me, okay? It comes from two words. The first is kata, and that means down or down from, and the second is alage, and that means to change. So it means to come down from a high or lofty position from hostility to relationship to friendship, a change from hostility to friendship. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul wrote that God reconciled the world to himself uh, in Christ. Yet every person must respond in faith in order that forgiveness, in order for that forgiveness to become effective. God has provided forgiveness for all people through the once and for all death of Jesus Christ. However, it's not until that forgiveness is accepted by faith that reconciliation is able to take place. God's part is finished. Our part is a matter of individual decision. So this morning, we're going to look first at four ways, four reasons that we need reconciliation, four reasons. We need reconciliation, and it's going to come right from that Romans passage. So the first uh, reason is we are powerless to help ourselves. We are powerless to help ourselves. I know if you're like me, the hair on your neck might stand up uh, a little bit to think about yourself as being powerless. Think about a moment in your life where you were completely powerless. Someone after first service reminded me of a really humorous, yet terrifying story in my life from uh, earlier this year. So I am petrified of car washes. I know it's a ridiculous thing to be petrified for or of, but once you hear my story, you'll understand why. So I got a new car and I, with my new car, I was like, I'm going to keep it clean. I'm going to overcome this fear and I'm going to go to the car wash more than once a year. So I take my new car into the car wash and they sprayed my windshield before I got into the car wash so I couldn't see anybody. And so this guy was directing me, but I couldn't see him. So it wasn't very helpful. And I somehow, my tires weren't where they belonged, whatever. My emergency brake came on and there was no way to get it off. We tried. I was literally stuck in the car wash. It was a very nice, sunshiny day and there was like 60 people behind me, I swear, and I was stuck in the car wash for, like, 15 minutes because we could not get my emergency break off. Why? I don't know. But I was completely powerless. The guy's like, do this, do this. And I was trying, but I was going nowhere. I, I did return after that time, but it was very traumatic. Completely powerless in that situation. For you, maybe it was as you watched someone you loved go through a really, hard battle and there was nothing that you could do to help them. Maybe it was when a series of poor choices of your own led to a series of consequences that you could do nothing to get yourself out of. Maybe it's been as you've watched the news and the continual unrest of our country. Regardless of what has caused you to feel powerless, it isn't a great feeling. There's a reason that step one in Celebrate Recovery is to admit that we are powerless. It is hard to do. But it's a whole lot harder to live outside of God's will and reconciliation. And until we come to that place of admittance that we are powerless, we can't move forward. Romans 5, 6 again says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I love the way this... uh, passage was written in the Message Bible. So hear these words for verses 6 through 8. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. We are utterly powerless in this situation. There is nothing that we can do. We need God to reconcile ourselves to him. The second reason that we need reconciliation is also from verse six, and it's that we are ungodly. The term ungodly has a religious connotation to it. It describes a person who has no use for God. It's to exclude God from your thinking and feeling, from your mind and heart. And I think the best description... um, of the term ungodly, is that you are cold towards God. You have no respect for anything sacred. And every person without Christ has an evil nature that needs reconciling. The natural mindset of an unsaved sinner is at war with God. Romans 8, 7 for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The sinner may be sincere, religious, even moral, but he is still at war with God. How can a holy God ever be reconciled with a sinful man? Can God lower his standards, close his eyes to our sin and compromise with man? If he did, the universe would literally fall apart. God must remain consistent with himself and maintain his own holy law. The third reason that we need reconciliation is that we are sinners. Verse eight says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our humanity, we miss the mark. We miss God's intention and his goal for us to be in relationship with him. And the fourth reason we need reconciliation, we are enemies of God. Verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. By nature, by our human nature, we are at odds. With God. We are born hostile to God in our minds and in our hearts. And we live out this life in a state of hostility to God and his redemptive activity towards us. These four reasons that we need reconciliation describe our former state or your present state if you've never responded to the love of God. That's why Christ died. God had a plan and a purpose to redeem the world from before the beginning of time. Not only was it the right time in the sweep of history, but it is the right time in the sense that we were powerless to break the chains of sin. Outside of Christ, we're bound by sin and destined for an eternity apart from God. And no amount of struggle will ever free you. The remarkable thing about the death of Christ is that it took place while we were still in our sin, helpless and powerless. And God doesn't wait, he does not wait until we've performed well enough to merit his love. He is the loving father, having forgiven his prodigal sons and daughters, watching daily for us to return home. And he's waiting for you today. The proof of God's amazing love for you is the gift of his only son, Jesus. I want to share a familiar passage from John 3, verses 16 and 17. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God sent his only son, his one and only son to save us and allow there to be reconciliation with God. As we begin, it's important to understand that the ultimate goal of the the atoning work of Jesus Christ is the restoration of relationship. The restoration of relationship. It is this point of restored relationship that we experience through Reconciliation. As is often the case, God has to take the initiative in the process of reconciliation. Jesus joined us in our humanity so that he could then act on our behalf. He lived a righteous life on our behalf. Jesus suffered the judgment of God against our sinfulness and imputed his righteousness to us so that we could stand justified before god just a quick pause because as we start talking about different words things get a little bit confusing so i want to make a distinguish i want to distinguish between reconciliation and justification so justification stresses setting us right with god where he forgives us and claims jesus righteousness to us reconciliation however stresses God joining us in our humanity to draw us back into fellowship with him. It stresses God joining us in our humanity to draw us back into fellowship with him. Because of our human nature, we are separated. Man is separated from God and by his deeds, alienated from God. By the very nature of man being a sinner, we must acknowledge that there is nothing— that can be said or done by ourselves to please God. If there is to be reconciliation between us and God, as already mentioned this morning, the initiative and action must begin with God. It is in Christ that God was reconciled to man. Jesus invaded our sinful humanity. He defeated it and turned it back to God so that we are no longer enemies, pushing God away, but sons and daughters living in fellowship with our heavenly Father. Jesus, through the incarnation, has brought the two parties, man and God, together. God, through Jesus, lovingly approaching mankind and mankind, again through Jesus, lovingly responding. Jesus removed the barrier that prevented reconciliation. So now we're going to go back to Romans and we're going to look at four things you receive as a result of reconciliation. The first thing you received is that you are declared justified and righteous. Verse nine says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is the language of the law court. And in the presence of divine counsel, justified means declared not guilty or positively righteous. You have been declared right with God, righteous by virtue of the shedding of Christ's blood. Not only are you declared righteous, but you're made righteous and acceptable to God. This is because to be justified means that you are just as if You've never sinned or never will again. The second thing we receive as a result of reconciliation is that we are saved from God's wrath. Because the above is true, because we have been declared justified and righteous, you have been saved from God's wrath in the present. Now, the wrath of God is not an irrational outburst of anger. Rather, it's the outworking of the consequences of sin upon people by a holy, righteous God. It is his personal reaction to sin. It's divine displeasure or retribution in a morally ordered world that God created. Verse nine indicates that because you have been declared justified, it's far more certain that you will be saved from the wrath by him that is Jesus Christ. If God has made a way to declare you acquitted, then there's no way that any future judgment can threaten that verdict. The Christian has assurance concerning the final judgment. There is no fear. You are saved from God's wrath today, tomorrow, and always. The third thing we receive as a result of reconciliation is that we live through Christ's life. Verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ. And then in Colossians 1.27 he wrote, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only hope of you becoming what God intended you to become is to have Christ in you. Finally, in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. You live through Christ's life in you. He is your source of life. And the fourth thing that we receive as a result of reconciliation is that we are reconciled to God's Son. Reconciliation reflects the world of personal relationships. It's the restoration of a friendly relationship after a period of separation or being alienated. Verse 11 states, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have now received reconciliation. This is our present reality as believers and something that we truly should rejoice about. As I considered reconciliation over the last several weeks uh, in relationship to God, there's one key story in Scripture that comes came to mind over and over again, and that is found in Luke 15. I referenced it earlier this morning, and I'm sure it's a story that's very familiar to most of you, but we're going to read just a portion of it this morning. So Luke 15, starting in verse But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fat and calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. This parable is a great example of what God is like when we make that decision to accept all that he has for us. He does not think for a moment about what was in our past. He does not hold our wrongdoings against us anymore. He literally runs with arms open ride, ready to celebrate our homecoming. Reconciliation, relationship, and love are all dependent on free will. And in order for it to be genuine, it is up to the forgiven to respond and accept this God-given Imagine if the son had stopped the father from celebrating his homecoming. How would the father have felt? How brokenhearted do you think that that father would have been to know that he wanted to celebrate the son of his and it was rejected? It is up to you and to me how we respond to God's act of pure love. We can choose to participate in reconciliation or the decision is a very important part of the atonement process. If the process just stopped at the legal as, legalistic aspect of justification where the judge is satisfied because the penalty of our sin has been paid, Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us, then there's danger of our developing complacency to our sin and simply continuing to live in our previous lifestyle. We are not meant to continue to live in our sinful ways. The whole goal of atonement is much more than simply making us righteous. It is all about reconciliation. It is all about the restoration of a personal relationship between humanity and God. Some might say that without reconciliation, it, justification without reconciliation results in what they call cheap grace. Imagine, this is kind of a silly analogy, but imagine that a man proposes to a woman and she accepts that proposal simply because she wants to be married and she wants to be taken care of, but she has no intentions of showing love to the man. Their marriage would result in an empty, loveless marriage. God went to extreme measures to break down the barriers preventing reconciliation, and he will not rest until his purposes are achieved. It is not only with God whom we need to consider the process of reconciliation. There's another familiar story in Scripture that focuses more on reconciliation between people. It is the story of Joseph and his brothers found in Genesis, so I'm going to just tell you a little bit about it, and then we're going to read some of Genesis 45. So Joseph's brothers uh, sold him into slavery because they were jealous of the special attention that his father paid to him. So Joseph, at the age of 17, starts off as a slave in Egypt, and then he is thrown into prison. But through a series of divine interventions, after 13 years, Joseph ends up as a powerful e- a ruler in Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. 22 years after selling him into slavery, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to buy food for their families who are starving. It's the second time they've come because a severe drought has ravaged their homeland for two years. They find themselves dealing with a powerful Egyptian ruler that they don't know is Joseph himself. Though he feeds them from his own table and provides generously for them, He accuses them of being spies and thieves. On their first trip, he imprisoned one of them. And this time, the second time, he threatens to keep another one of them as his slave. Judah pleads for his brother's freedom, offering himself as a slave instead. And it's more than Joseph can bear. He breaks down in tears and they're all reunited. in one of the most moving stories of reconciliation I've ever read. So I'm going to start in Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Imagine 22 years. Joseph had been gone for 22 years. Imagine what his brothers were thinking in that moment. They were probably thinking that Joseph was about to get revenge on them, right? They certainly deserved Joseph to get revenge on them. But that is far from what occurred. Picking up in verse 4. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all, his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that this is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After this, his brothers talked with him. 22 years, 22 years of animosity and distrust and separation, these brothers come together with all of that gone. They're weeping and hugging and kissing each other, and they're closer to one another than they've ever been before. This is real reconciliation, not a pretense of everything is fine when it's not. They are truly and genuinely together again with absolutely no tension or unresolved issues between them. How was that? How was it that they were able to come together after so many years apart? How were they able to receive true reconciliation? And how can we, experience that reconciliation in our broken relationships. Well, like brother Joseph's brothers, if you want to truly be reconciled in your broken relationships, we must first confess our sins. These brothers, and that is very similar to the way we experience reconciliation with God. These brothers do not only admit their guilt, they demonstrated a real change in attitude, and that opened the floodgates of tears. Joseph not only wept, he revealed himself to them and embraced them as dearly loved brothers. If you want to see real reconciliation, then there must be a confession of your own sin as well. Next, you must forgive those who sinned against you. As an act of the will, refuse to retaliate for the wrongs that have been done to you. Instead, choose to. To return good for evil is God gives you opportunities. That's what Joseph did. Otherwise, he would never have been able to be reconciled to his brothers. He could have enslaved his brothers for selling him into slavery. Instead, he feeds them a feast from his own table. He invites them to live near him in the best part of the land, and he promises to provide not only for them, but for their children and their children's children and their children's children Joseph truly forgave his brothers, and that is what we must do if we want healing in our relationships. It sounds really simple, but I would be lying if I said that was true. As part of the 12-step Celebrate Recovery process, we are called to make amends, very similar to the way that God extends his reconciliation to us, and we, we have to choose whether or not we accept it. Making amends and extending forgiveness is the same way person to person. It does not always work out the way Joseph's story does. There's a relationship in my life that is very important to me, very important to me. And I have extended forgiveness and made my amends to this person. And that has not yet been reciprocated. It has not yet been reciprocated. Because I truly believe that as difficult it is for me to accept that, I know that God is in control. I know that God is in control. Listen to Genesis 45, 5 through 8 again. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph was able to forgive his brothers because he believed that God was in charge of his life, not his brothers. They meant him harm, but God meant it for good to save Joseph's family And in the grand scheme of things, to preserve the line through whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come. Joseph truly believed that God was in control of his life, working all things together for good. And that's what we must believe if we're going to be able to forgive others like Joseph forgave his brother. If we want to see real reconciliation, we must truly believe that God is the one in control of our life. As we begin to wrap up, I want to remind you that there is nothing, nothing that you can do or say that will make God love you more than he does right this minute. There is nothing that you can do or say that will make God love you more than he does right this minute. And if you have not yet taken that step to acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior and to accept his reconciliation, perhaps. Today is the day that you would make that decision. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you have received God's reconciliation, but there's a relationship in your life that needs some attention. Maybe you need to be the first one to take the step of confessing your wrongs in the situation or to extend forgiveness. Wherever you are this morning, would you be willing to be willing to take your next with Jesus this morning to allow him to move. I read a quote this week from A.W. Tozer's book Alive in the Spirit that I want to share with you. It says, every day I need to make room for the Holy Spirit to speak to me in such a way that my life is a testimony of his grace. Every day I need to make room for the Holy Spirit to speak to me in such a way that my life is a testimony of his may your life may my life be a testimony of his grace today this week and always let's pray heavenly gracious father god we are uh, have so many reasons to be grateful here this morning lord lord we are grateful for the gift of your son jesus christ who is made a way for us to be reconciled with you Lord, would you stir in our hearts this morning if we have not yet made that decision to accept you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, to accept that reconciliation that's offered to us. Would you help us to do that today? Lord, would we see you as that loving Father with arms open wide, ready to embrace us today? And Lord, as we think about uh, the relationships in our lives, would you help us, Lord, Lord, Would you help us be the person to confess our sins, to extend our forgiveness to those around us, Lord? Would you help us to make that first move? Lord, if you can reconcile Joseph and his brothers after 22 years, Lord, we know you can do anything. You are the God of miracles. And so, Lord, we lift up all of the broken relationships here this morning to you that you would move, Lord. Lord, we love you and we praise you.